Welcome back to our show. We are continuing our conversations with ex-TCEQ employees who have left the agency and opened up about the pro-fossil fuel nature of the commission. This episode, we will interview Sheila Serna. Sheila currently works with RGISC, or RISC, the Rio Grande International Study Center. She talked to us about her experience working in the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, what she learned there, and why she ultimately left. Sheila, thank you for joining us in this podcast. You are currently Climate Science and Policy Director at the Rio Grande International Study Center. Um, and you used to work at the TCEQ as an inspector, but you ultimately decided to leave because it did not align with your values. And um, we want to talk to you about that, about your decision, about your experience there in the TCEQ. So first question for you here is, what was your impression of the TCEQ when you first joined? What were your expectations? What was your image of this agency? Um, well, I was really young. I was fresh out of college and there were not a lot of environmental jobs in my area. And so when I right. found out about TCQ, I went to their, you know, public website and started kind of trying to get an idea of what the work would be like. And, um, And I, and I thought, great, wow, this all sounds so amazing. And, and what an opportunity to be a part of something that could actually make a difference and have an impact. And uh, so I was really like, just, I had this really great image in my mind of what it would be like to work at the agency. And very quickly within months of being there and learning what air regulations look like, I was like, how is, how is this not a violation or how does this not get a penalty or a fine? I was very confused. And, and so the feedback was always like, well, that's the way it is. And these regulations are very hard to change. So you can basically kick and scream all you want, but this is the way it is. They're, they're like, Sheila, we've worked very hard to create the system that protects industry. Why are you here asking questions? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so I soon found that out, right? That the rules were kind of rigged or in the favor of industry. So uh, can you paint a picture for us of the average uh, day in the life of a TCQ air inspector? Yeah, so I mean, um, it's pretty like um, I, I'd say lenient in the way that you get an assigned amount of investigations or facilities that you have to inspect. You have to divide them up into quarters, and then you get to decide when you want to go out in the field, when you want to stay in the office and write your report and spend some time looking at permits and. Um, and other facilities in your region that you'd like to investigate. And um, yeah, I, I think I started out with 
the first year they start you out with, you know, not, not the average amount of investigations. I think I had like 80 LBB, which are assigned investigations. And then the following year it bumped up to like 96. And then the following, it was like 120 and then 130. And I was always kind of shocked that the numbers kept going up and up because I was like, if I stay here for the next 15 years, what is going to happen (laughs) year after year? Am I expected to just stretch myself that thin um, and, and do all of these investigations when there's only three investigators in a 10 county region? So talk to us a little bit more about that. You have um, obviously a certain a, a ratio of uh, inspectors per site, per sites in a region. So tell us what was, how was the site to inspector ratio at your regional office uh, from your experience? Um, what do you think of the whole system of the amount of inspectors that the TCEQ have per the number of sites? So out of the 10 counties, I'd say six of them are really oil and gas heavy. And um, in Webb County, I know there's about 6,000 permitted oil and gas sites. So if we just take a look at Webb County alone, 6,000 sites for three investigators, that means that you would have to do that that the ratio is one investigator to 2000 sites, um, which is not possible. I could spend my whole life at TCEQ and I would only get to each site one time. And something that we've been, we've discussed earlier today, earlier in this, in this podcast is how, um, how drastically a site can change from day to day, right? Because uh, you can, you can go to a site on, for example, a Monday, everything's working right. The, the flares are working. Everything's um, everything's great. You can mm-hmm. go there the following day, 24 hours later, and it's a complete mess, right? right. So again, here we have this um, systematic failure um, of an agency because there's not enough resources to actually... Um, actually and adequately monitor the sites. Would would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. Yes. Yes, you're right. Um, So tell us more about what this TCEQ work culture was like. You mentioned uh, here at the beginning that there's kind of some complacency, like complacency. They they said, like, no matter how much you kick and scream, nothing's going to happen. Tell us more about this work culture in the agency. Right. So um, I think the agency runs on like image, right? Like looking good to the public and also looking good to legislature. Um, So because they audit, right, they, they go through this extensive like um audit with them they they as an investigator you're very pressured to complete all of the assigned investigations 
you know, rain or shine, like I was telling you earlier, I was pregnant with my first child and I asked, you know, to, to kind of not go to these title five, really big, um, facilities with, with very high emissions. And I was basically shot down and said, no, you still have to complete your work. It's part of your work plan. And so I feel like the mentality is very quantity over quality. It didn't matter if I was overworked. It didn't matter if I, you know, <laughs> was interested in, in, in the regulations or doing the right thing, not just me, but any investigator, it didn't really matter. It, what mattered was that you got, you got the investigation report completed and approved and you moved on to the next one. Sort of a superficial ch checking off the boxes. Like we, we went here, we did this. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. So the, what you mentioned there um, with you voicing your concerns, uh, your health concerns, um, as someone who was pregnant going out into the, these toxic oil fields, um, can you um, elaborate more on how that went? Um, why, why were you, uh, firstly, why is it something that you were concerned about as someone that was pregnant? Why, why would, for someone that's unfamiliar with, with the oil field, why would you be concerned about that? Yeah. So this is not something that the agency, you know, openly talks about. They don't really tell you as an investigator, Hey, you know, you might be in danger because you're exposing yourself to all of these different um, air emissions. Whoops. So it's something that I had to do on my own, right? I started seeing um, articles pop up. And then I also started piecing things together on my own. Like if I went to a facility that had a BTEX unit, I know that there's the potential for benzene or just really and at any oil and gas site, the flare is usually burning um, BTEX. So benzene, um, as some of us know, right, is very, uh, it's like well known for causing birth defects. So I did not want to expose myself to that. And my biggest concern was being exposed to H2S because we do get a lot of training as investigators about H2S, you know, do that OSHA training. And I was pregnant and I did not want to pass out or drop dead <laughs> at any of these facilities. And Very so reasonable. I, I thought so. I thought so. Of and course. so I went on and, and asked my, um, my OBGYN for, for doctor's note saying that he didn't want me exposed or he didn't want me at a facility. I said, please write down no more than 10 PPM, which is usually, you know, the sign that they have out in the front says this site has higher than 10 PPM of H2S. And I did all, and I also asked him to write, you know, or high concentrations of VOCs and NOx and socks. <laughs> Um, because at this point I had already thought the worst, like what if there, if I'm at a site that has a high H2S concentration and all the training that the, that the operator gave me was to run to where the flag is and not turn back and try to save anyone. 
to just basically try to save myself. So I was like, that is not okay. I said, there's some, there must be some OSHA regulation that protects me, especially while being pregnant. And so I actually picked up the phone and called OSHA and said, Hey, I'm a state employee. I'm pregnant. I exposed to all of these chemicals. What can I do? And they basically said, we do not regulate any state agency. You have to take that up with, you know, TCEQ and your supervisor. And so OSHA being the occupational safety and health administration, they, they kind of just ignored you. They were like, they passed the ball. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. They passed the ball back to TCEQ. And, um, when I, when I, you know, came forward to say, you know, with that doctor's note to say, I don't want to do investigations at these sites. They, they were like, well, you, you have to, uh, we'll, we'll give you a break. We'll, we'll, we'll cut you some slack. You don't have to go to the sour sites, you know, the high H2S sites that are called sour sites, but everything else, every other oil and gas facility, you know, these little tiny tank batteries, <laughs> you still have to go to. Right. So let's talk about that because um, what, so, so for someone that's, that's new to this, um, some sites have higher concentration of, of H2S because they're on a different type of uh, field, right? So, so sour gas fields have higher concentration of um, H2S danger, you, um, you ask your, your employer, like, Hey, I don't want to be exposed to these high levels of H2S. Um, so this leads us to ask the important question. Does the TCEQ have a good record, an accurate record of which sites have high levels of H2S versus which ones do not. And um, reading here from the Earthworks report entitled Fatal Vapors, How Texas Oil and Gas Regulators Cause Avoidable Deaths uh, from January of 2020, our answer is unequivocally no. They don't. They cannot track which sites have very high levels of, of H2S and which do not. Right. Um, reading here from the findings, um, an analysis of over 19,000 wells in the R- Railroad Commission District 8 found that over 10,000 wells, 51% of wells did not file H9s to assess and inform the state of the danger their well poses and if it must operate under oversight. Um Sheila, did the TCEQ in its training tell you about the Railroad Commission's H-9 permits? Did they, did they thoroughly instruct you on that? No, they didn't. And that's uh, probably because TCEQ and the Railroad Commission don't really work together in any capacity other than saying, hey, this isn't my jurisdiction, so I'm going to pass this along to you. And that's basically where it ends. I um, I was instructed like, hey, you should probably check out the Railroad Commission website and explore the GIS viewer and look at the forms. 
but is it a training? Do they guide you? No, this came from an air investigator that had been there for a long time and was my mentor. And so she was really sharp and she knew where to find things. And she passed that along to me, but I don't think that that's the standard, you know, that's not training. Um, and you're right. TCEQ doesn't have like a list or a spreadsheet of facilities that are considered uh, sour sites or high concentration of H2S sites. So I basically, before going on site, would have to review the permit and find out, look at the, their last uh, or the most recent gas analysis and see what the, the parts per million concentration of H2S was. So there, there we find yet another flaw in the system because you have two agencies that don't communicate with each other, regulating the same industry, uh, sometimes regulating gases that are similar, uh, similar types of gases. It's easy for, for things to fall through the cracks. Right. Even, if, even if the TCEQ had a, a, a stringent and stern culture of understanding which sites have H9 permits, uh, H9 permits are the permits which um, allow um, these uh, sites with high concentration of H2S to exist and operate with a higher level of monitoring and regulation, right? Even if the TCEQ had um, a, a, a culture of thoroughly knowing which sites have them, have these H9 permits and which do not, the Railroad Commission is not tracking which wells have these H9s. The, the, our, the Railroad Commission can determine, can determine who is violating the law because it just doesn't bother to keep track of who needs to comply with it. So right. um, uh, let's move on here to, um, in your experience, how does the TCEQ rely on this uh, system of corporations self-reporting? Uh, do you think the system of self-reporting is an effective and accurate rate, accurate way to keep oil and gas accountable? No, quite the opposite. I think it's very ineffective and they rely on it completely. Um, you know, for, for things like, for example, emissions events, when you have a leak of some sort that's not um, allowed in your permit, uh, they rely on the operator or the owner to report it within 24 hours, which we know is so far-fetched because lots of these oil and gas sites are in the middle of nowhere and probably don't get a daily inspection or, you know, get that LDAR or, or OGIC FLIR camera inspection. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that was probably, if not <laughs> one of the few things that I first had a problem with at TCEQ, once yeah. I started to understand air regulations a little bit more, it was like, wait, this is allowed. They're allowed to, to, to have emissions events and just pollute the air. And that's it. They just get they they're, it's okay. <laughs> just because they told us, I thought that was so mind boggling. It is, 
I still can't understand it. I, and, and I think part of the problem is that uh, the general public doesn't understand how absurd and ludicrous this is. So, I mean, yeah, thank, thank you again for, for being an, an outspoken uh, critic and uh, a voice for, for real environmental advocacy. Tell us about what led you to the decision to leave the TCQ, the TCQ machine, and instead work for climate advocacy. What, what led you to, to make this decision? Yeah, so I had, um, I was an air investigator for five years. When I, when I suffered from burnout, because that's literally what it was, every year, more and more investigations, more and more pressure, um, more and more turnover. So I was like the senior most investigator who had to train new people constantly that didn't stick around. Um, I was pretty much exhausted. So I switched over to the small business and local government assistance um, section, which basically just helps people like mom and pop shops get permits with TCEQ. And I felt like that was <laughs> a little more meaningful than, than what I was doing as an air investigator, just pretending like I was um, inspecting these facilities. So I was, a, I was in the small business section when, when, I, when somebody sent me an, an article on the Texas Tribune that had, so this, this reporter, environmental reporter had done a PIR request at a facility here in Laredo, which is a huge emitter for ethylene oxide. So not an oil and gas site, but still another probably oh, top, yeah. top. Sorry. So this facility is like one of the top 10 emitters in the whole nation. And it's here in Laredo. So she was doing an investigation piece on it. She asked for a PIR request, pulled an email that I had written to my supervisor saying, I found something that I didn't like. I really want to cite a violation. Can you help me figure out what violation we can cite? Um, and he was basically like, no, everything is fine. They fixed the problem last year. And even Mommy, if this happened you know, a couple of years ago, the problem is fixed now. And so I replied and said, well, can we at least, you know, um, ask for the investigative division to do, to look into it? And he said, no, he's like, no, you don't have enough evidence. You don't have enough, you know, enough to back up your allegation. Um, and, and that was, was, was this investigation at the same site of the Czech Texas Tribune piece on in Laredo the, the same yes the oh, same wow. site the same wow. site so you so saw she, your 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 name there in that in that PIR, report in that yes report. I wow. saw my name and that little excerpt from my email because um she with a public information request all of the you know emails investigations any communication within the agency is public information so that's how she was able to get my email um, and so 
when I saw that and I kind of, it kind of like, it was like looking at myself in the mirror and I said, my name is on this report and I, I didn't push hard enough for, for something to happen. And I just, I was really tired of just standing by waiting for someone to believe me or for someone to back me up and, and do the right thing. And shortly after, um, Trisha, which is um, the Rio Grande's executive director, reached out to me and she said, she offered me a job. Would you like to come and work for us? And I, at first I was like, wow, no, I don't think I can. I was very comfortable. Um, and I think, you know, TCEQ knows that, right? They like really preach that to you. Like you have it good here. You have insurance, you have um, you're going to get a great retirement, uh, you know, compensation when you're, when you're done working with us and look at all these benefits, you know, you have sick days and annual leave. And so they really pushed that on you. And at six years in, I was really contemplating, should I leave? Should I not leave? And then I just ultimately decided to take a leap of faith and say, that I'm not happy doing what I'm doing at TCEQ. And so I, so I started working at this non-environmental nonprofit and I have no regrets. It's probably the best thing I could have done. Well, Sheila, welcome to the movement. This is, this is great that, that uh, we have your voice to count on. Any, any concluding remarks for, for our listeners here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say if you feel something, if you feel like something's not right, it's probably not. And um, just follow your gut. And, you know, I believe strongly that, you know, what the right thing is and what the right thing is and what the wrong thing is. And to me, being on the other side feels right. It, it, and it's, um, it's not a race, right? It's a marathon. Everything that we do takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, and it can, it can get tiring, but I feel like in the end, it's going to be worth it. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Now that we have thoroughly covered how the oil and gas regulatory system is too corrupt to regulate air emissions of oil and gas, on our next episode we will discuss another vitally important consequence of this industry. An emergency flashing red flag warning us to please stop drilling. That's right. We'll be talking about the industry's radioactive waste crisis. Stay tuned.